Well, good evening and welcome, friends, fans, and colleagues to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, whether you're across town or across the globe. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Karen Tate, and we are here on Blog Talk in our 10th year, and so happy to have uh, you with us, and uh, I really appreciate uh, your listener loyalty. I also want to uh, just uh, do a quick shout out to Celia. Uh, you were listening to a little snippet from her single Meta Prayer. And uh, uh, I'm so delighted that uh, we have such wonderful artists that uh, generously uh, let me use their music here on the show. Uh, we sort of mix that up uh, every, uh, every show with uh, a different artist. Uh, that's uh, sort of in alignment with the whole idea of uh, the sacred feminine and tonight with Celia uh, with Meta Prayer. Well, uh, we are uh, deep into the holiday season here. I hope you enjoyed uh, your Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, even as I say that to you, um, uh, you know, there's kind of a dark cloud over that, you know, because of the whole idea of the sanitized version of Thanksgiving here in the United States that really bugs me. Uh, And if you're like so many of my listeners outside the United States, uh, well, you don't even have Thanksgiving there. So, uh, but maybe the holiday season have, has started for you. And uh, uh, so many of us, uh, you know, here are uh, busy going about um, our little role as uh, Uber consumers. Uh, you know, we've had Black Friday sales after Thanksgiving. We had Cyber Monday. Uh, now they call the Tuesday after Thanksgiving some sort of sale day, too. I can't even think about what it is. Uh, but, you know, so many of us, or really trying to reject that uh, because we realize how empty uh, that leaves us inside. Uh, There was a great article that I posted on my Facebook page and on our Goddess 2.0 Facebook page as well um, about how um, this life of consumerism that so many of us lead has just really left us um, spiritually bereft and uh, depressed and demoralized. And uh, it's a really great article. I would encourage you to, um, you know, go to my Facebook page and uh, take a look at it, um, see what you think. But uh, anyway, uh, tonight um, I believe I have another uh, great show for you um, uh, and another great guest. Uh, I do vet my guests very carefully, and I uh, really try to have uh, folks on uh, who have fresh new insights uh, because we are trying to create a new world. You know, as we say down with the patriarchy, you know, may patriarchy fall as we uh, talk about, uh, you know, this isn't working for the most of us anymore. We need a new normal. Sure, we all know it's not working for the most of us, but Uh, You know, until we have a vision for what's going to replace it, um, it's difficult to manifest that. And uh, I like to believe that the the many folks I've had on the show every week for the last decade, you know, we each have little pieces of the puzzle. You know, we each have a strand of that uh, beautiful new tapestry that we can weave together uh, to make a new world. And uh, tonight my guest uh, is no different. Uh, She's calling in from Spain. Uh, It's 3 a.m. in the morning there, so I applaud uh, Pia Orlean uh, for uh, staying up 
in the middle of the night to speak with us tonight. Uh, our show topic is honoring uh, natural cycles um, and how uh, natural cycles uh, save the world. Uh, she's written a new book called uh, Sacred Retreat, and we're going to be getting into that. Uh, lots of good stuff there. Um, and if you stay with me uh, after our interview, uh, Pat, our roving reporter for Voices of the Sacred Feminine, uh, thank you, Pat, uh, again, uh, for sending in this uh, great uh, piece, a uh, short little piece I'm going to read. Uh, you know, it's timely for the season. It's called The First Song, A Tale of How Yule Got Its Name. Yeah. And um, uh, while I'm thinking of it, uh, before I start the interview, I just want to mention uh, I might not be on uh, every Wednesday this month um, uh, because uh, with the holidays, uh, we've had some scheduling difficulties with some guests. Uh, so if uh, you tune in on a Wednesday night and you don't see a new show, uh, please go to the archives. I'm sure there's lots of great stuff there uh, that you have not had a chance uh, to listen to yet. Um, I didn't do a specific Christmas show this year uh, because I've done it in the past, and uh, there's great shows there with folks like uh, Selena Fox, um, and, uh, you know, talking about uh, Christmas goddesses and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, but, you know, I didn't do it again this year because it just felt um, redundant. I mean, it's like how many times can you watch Frosty the Snowman on TV? Um, I know it's holiday tradition, but, um, you know, I'd rather do something fresh and different. So, anyway, it's there for you if you want to... Um, you know, avail yourself of those past Christmas shows. Uh, please uh, enjoy, enjoy them. Uh, so let's uh, go ahead and uh, turn our attention to uh, our show tonight, Honoring Natural Cycle Saves Our World with uh, Pia Orlean. Uh, let me first tell you just a little bit about Pia. Uh, she's a Ph.D., author, lecturer, and uh, former practicing psychologist. She's the recipient of an international award from Saybrook University for her research on the importance of natural cycles for life. She travels the world giving talks on the value of the divine feminine and natural cycles, and uh, that lucky lady lives in Europe. And that, uh, with, you know, with uh, Mr. Trump uh, as our president, uh, that seems awfully appealing these days. So anyway, uh, we are going to start our chat uh, about uh, uh, her book, uh, so, Pia, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Karen. I'm delighted to be here. And I just wanted well, to make one comment about the, the Black Friday and the Thanksgiving, how it's seen in Europe. Thanksgiving in Europe is not a holiday, as you already mentioned. But interestingly enough, the European patriarchy has picked up the concept of Black Friday. And Black Friday happens in Europe beginning the day after the American holiday of Thanksgiving, and it goes until the end of the month. Wow. So, you know, it's, it's all about the dollar. It's all about the capitalism. Uh, you know, it, uh, it just feels like, uh, you know, that's where, what we're here for in their mind, you know, just to buy their stuff. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. I'm going on strike buying stuff. <laughs> 
that's exactly what we need to do. You know, in 2009, the Dalai Lama spoke to a group in Vancouver saying the world will be saved by Western women. And you've mentioned tonight that the only way we can do it is to break patterns. And one of the best way we can break patterns is to to do something like go on strike and say, I'm not shopping. You know, Black Friday means nothing to me and not participate in these patriarchal ideas of greed. The women of... Right. And if Iceland went on strike and changed the whole government. Yeah. Well, you know, and you know, and that's an interesting topic in itself too. And I'm I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, uh, I don't know whether I mean you probably aren't you know uh, paying close attention to what's going on here in the United States, but you know Republicans are trying to pass this huge uh, tax reformation that further gives uh, billionaires um, you know more money while they pay for it by uh, you know stripping more support for average people for programs and it uh, increases the debt uh, which you know then they're going to turn around and say oh well we have this huge debt now so now we have to uh, you know go attack the social safety net which is you know Medicare and Social Security and uh, you know I don't know how much more they think they can take from people and, uh, it, you know, it's going to get to the point where people don't even have the discretionary income uh, to continue to buy, buy, buy. I mean, this just isn't sustainable. And, uh, and, and on Facebook, you know, on social media, in response to this new tax, uh, you know, tax reformation that, uh, you know, they're pushing through and they have a good chance of doing it because Republicans are in charge of, um, you know, the, the House and the Senate and the presidency, uh, that's what people are saying online. They're saying, you know what, I'm going to stop buying things. You know, I will hurt them in their pocketbook uh, because we're powerless otherwise because obviously our politicians aren't supporting us in Congress. You know, they're supporting the 1%. It's not just in America either. The richest woman in the world, who is the Queen of England, just taxed her subjects to redecorate one of her castles rather than spending her own money to do that. It's everywhere. America's leading the show for sure, allowing these things to happen. But we have to speak up and say, no, no more. That's enough. And I think women are going to do it. I feel that it's the resurgence of the divine feminine that exists that's going to stop this pattern. Because everywhere you look, you see people just accepting it and they they go, this is not fair, I don't like it, but nobody's doing anything about it. Well, you see, that's what disturbs me too. It's like I thought Trump being in office and all of the baggage that comes with him, uh, I think he will ultimately, you know, history will probably prove that uh, his presidency was a real catalyst to wake so many people up. I think the election between Bernie and Hillary woke a lot of Democrats up uh, because now they realize that the Democratic Party is just as corrupt as the Republican Party. You know, we, uh, I think, maybe had comforted ourselves thinking, well, you know, we're the good guys, we're the Democrats, but, um, you know, they aren't trying very hard. Uh, you know, with the exception of maybe Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, uh, to do too much. You know, they kind of just, you know, put up, you know, the expression is they bring uh, a knife to a gunfight. Or now people are saying, well, they're not bringing a knife anymore. They're bringing a covered dish. 
you know, to a gunfight because they all have the same corporate masters, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, I hope you're right, Pia. I hope it's going to be women. But um, I have to say, I, I think corporatist women uh, help prop this all up. Uh, I think we have to be honest that, you know, women have supported slavery. They've supported white supremacy. They continue um, horrible traditions like female genital mutilation. Um, you know, women are just as guilty uh, as, as men. You know, they're complicit in their own oppression. And, um, you know, I guess I don't have the full confidence in women that you do. Oh, I don't have the full confidence in women per se. I have the confidence in the awakening divine feminine. And the awakening divine feminine exists in both women and men. Uh, my husband has a term for all the women you just described that have participated in the patriarchy in such heinous ways. He calls them women in training to be men. And I think that's the essence is they have forgotten the divine feminine that lives within them and joined the patriarchy. It's not that set that's going to be the ones that change the world. The set that's going to be the ones that change the world is the set that goes, the divine feminine tells my heart that this is not okay and I'm just not doing it anymore. Yeah, yeah, and that's a really good and important point. Um, you know, when the Dalai Lama said it would be Western women who would save the world, I think I read that the idea behind that was Western women had access to power, they had money. Uh, the problem, I think, with what he said was people took it very literally. Uh, it also didn't include indigenous people. It didn't include people who weren't in the West who were, you know, doing things to try to change the world it seemed like it excluded men and I really do think all of this is a mindset it's not about men versus women because you know you have women like the queen who just did what you described you know raise taxes to decorate her you know her 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 castle you know you have Margaret Thatcher who you know along with you know over in England in the UK uh, you know brought in this neoliberalism I think just like uh, uh, you know, we have here in the United States and all the stuff that Reagan did and blah, 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 blah. You know, but you, you know, you have lots of women who just, um, uh, you know, keep this all propped up. And um, it, sometimes it's controversial. You know, I find people saying, oh, well, Karen, you're a traitor to your gender. And, um, you know, I would, I would say respectfully, no, please think about what I'm saying. Just because we share genitals, you know, the same genitals, it doesn't mean all women think this way. That's absolutely true. But we do have a model that's been set out by some women to say, okay, we can do it differently. That group that I mentioned in Iceland, what happened in Iceland was all of the women one day went on strike. No dinner for their husbands, no child care, no driving anybody anywhere, no shopping. They stopped doing everything that they were accustomed to doing and said, we're not doing a thing until the men of this country change what they're doing to the country. And the whole government shut down and was restructured. That sort of alignment of women coming together in cooperation and saying, for the highest good of all, we are going to stop this pattern. And if it means that our, you know, we don't do our normal duties for a day or two or a week, then that's what it has to be in order to make the change happen. I think most women are too afraid to move into that kind of a structure. But if they had the picture of the pattern being broken by someone else and said, oh, it can work, then they'd have hope that maybe it would help them to say, yes, we can do it too. 
we can break yeah. the pattern. We can keep doing this. And did they manage that in, in uh, just going on strike? Was it only a day? No, it was several days. It was, but it wasn't a whole week. It was more than a day, but it wasn't that long. It just took a couple of days of that, and everything shifted. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I remember when my husband and I were traveling uh, in France, and we were in Paris, and, uh, you know, of course, you know, you take the metro everywhere in Paris, and uh, the workers there were in conflict uh, with, you know, whatever the company is that controls the metro, and they finally got fed up, and they went on strike, and, you know, that just stops the city. And they were on strike, I think, a day and a half, and everybody was back at the bargaining tables, and the workers, uh, they must have come to some, um, you know, negotiation that they were happy about because, you know, they went back to work. Um, You know, I I think Americans have lost, maybe because the unions have been so decimated uh, since since Reagan, you know, when he went after the air traffic controllers and uh, started to break all the unions. But people have, I don't know, some of my friends laughingly sort of tongue-in-cheek say, gee, is, is it the fluoride in the water? You know, what has made Americans such doormats? You know, why do we not stand up and fight back anymore? And, you know, I've been ready to march in the streets with a pitchfork for 10 years. Absolutely. I think the biggest element that keeps American women from doing anything is fear. Women in Europe are much more aligned with their power, their personal power, and their ability, no matter what their government says, to say, I'm not doing this. It's not right. France, in particular, is an excellent example of of going on strike. They go on strike every time something's unjust, and they don't like it. Americans Hmm. don't go on strike for Hmm. anything. They have sit-ins. Yeah. So do you, well, and I mean, I want to get to your book, but, you know, we're, we're sort of engrossed in this a little bit now, and, um, and and I think, you know, it runs sort of parallel to everything the show stands for in your book as well, um, and you have a unique vantage point, you know, having spent so much time in Europe. What makes the women in Europe different than the women in America? I mean, is there something you can point to that, um, you know, the, is, it, is it the news media? Uh, I mean, why is our psychology different? Do you have uh, a theory? I have several thoughts on that that run together all at one time. One of them is that the women in America have been pushed more into the forefront of we're fighting for women's rights through the Gloria Steinem work years ago, trying to get women to be able to vote and then trying to have women have equal pay for equal work. All of these things pushed the pendulum to the point where women were trying to be the same as men rather than being equal to men but having the same benefits. And that sort of pushed the pendulum too far in one direction. So now there's this huge pendulum swing between the group of women who say, no, we are the goddesses, we want to be in our own power, And we're not going to do this. And the other swing that is, no, we're going to be just like the men and we want to push for whatever they do, we can do it better. There's a discrepancy and a missing link between understanding that we can be divine women, goddesses, and have power that is for the highest good of all. A stretch back into matriarchal times where the matriarchy considers what's best for the entire community, where the patriarchy considers what's best for the men. In Europe, it seems that the matriarchy still lives in the hearts of the women here. They understand cooperation a little bit better 
than what American women do. So it's, it's yeah. partially because of the politics. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with this, that idea of there's a lack of cooperation uh, among women. I mean, even when we had the March last January, I mean, you know, you had women at each other's throats uh, over, you know, complaints about the march. Or, you know, you'll have groups like Black Lives Matter and, and feminist groups. And, you know, we all are basically fighting for the same thing, but somehow, you know, uh, you know our environmental groups or immigrant groups, you know, I mean, we're all oppressed by the patriarchy, you know. Maybe it's all, you know, our, our issues are slightly different, but at the core, you know, it's about justice, uh, you know, fairness, equality, uh, raising our standard of living, um, you know, all of those things. But we just, you know, we we just can't seem to stand together shoulder to shoulder in the street because, man, if we did, um, it, it would, uh, I, I can't help but think it would make a huge impact. There's such a separatism that's prevalent in the world today. It's country against country. It's group against group, faction against faction, religion against religion, stronger than it ever has been before. I think part of the root of the problem is fundamentalism, fundamental religion, or fundamental belief systems in general. In Europe, you see the women walking behind the men with burqas who are fundamentalist Muslims. In America, you see the fundamentalist Christians who are servicing the men in the way that their church has told them to do. So in either place that you look, you see a disempowerment of women. One thing that my book, Sacred Retreat, was written for is to help all of us realign with divine feminine principles of cooperation, support, harmony, and love as we step away from patriarchal principles of competition, separation, and greed. And we're not doing that yet. We're still allowing the fundamental principles and belief systems to govern our lives. Well, and let, and that's a great segue. Let's uh, let's get back to your book. And I apologize for that, you know, rant in this other direction. Um, it it just it just felt so relevant, though. You know, everything that uh, uh, is in the news, and um, you know how the show opened tonight. It was just sort of a natural uh, path to go down for a little bit. But let's uh, you know let's let's turn things back around and uh, start talking about your book, Sacred Retreat. Um, and uh, just as sort of a little synopsis uh, to give, uh, you know, folks a little uh, taste of what we're going to be talking about. Uh, as I said to open the show, uh, I'm talking to Pia Orlean. She's a Ph.D. author and lecturer and a former practicing psychologist, and we're talking about her new book, Sacred Retreat, where we'll delve into how honoring the natural cycles can restore the balance on our planet in peril. Uh, tonight we'll chat about how the environmental problems are related to dishonoring the natural cycles and how ignoring natural cycles contribute to ill health, lack of connection, and even war. Uh, Pia has done some incredible research, and uh, she's evaluated the spiritual treatment of women's cycles, and she'll report on that. Uh, we'll also refresh listeners about how women's cycles became taboo and, and shameful topics. Uh, shameful topics out there in some places of the world and how that's led to losing the value and power of women's cycles. And I believe Pia believes uh, living in harmony with nature can affect our personal relationships. And she'll give us some tips uh, 
for achieving a greater harmony and fulfillment uh, with those uh, in our social circles. So uh, important stuff, and uh, you know this is uh, this is all interconnected. All of these things we've been talking about tonight, and uh, so Pia, thank you again uh, for being with me on the show. And I I see your book has a foreword from Barbara Han Clow as well. Um, certainly a foremother out there. Um, so uh, what would you say, you know, if somebody, you know, just walked up to you and said, uh, well, sacred retreat, that sounds like you're writing about sacred places. Um, you know, what's the basic premise of this book or your work? Well, first of all, Karen, I want to tell you that there's no apology needed for our earlier discussion because even though I've been an activist all my life, fighting for cause I believed it would change the world, I realize now that fighting to change one thing at a time is not a solution to the problem. Everything is connected. We have to make changes at inner levels that ripple out to everything that's out of balance. So everything we've said already tonight is is tied into what we're going to be talking about for the rest of the show. Sacred Retreat is the title the publisher gave this book because they could not encompass all of the ideas into the Divine Feminine. I put the title out as something about the Divine Feminine, and they didn't like that. They wanted it to reach out to men as well, so they changed it to Sacred Retreat. But the premise of the book is that we are so separated from nature that we don't know how to slow down long enough to be able to be part of nature. We we are always too busy to be able to slow down and to listen to what is out of harmony and to listen for creative ideas about how to change it. And it starts with the patronization, I guess, of our menstrual cycles because the patriarchy has made menstrual cycles something to be embarrassed with or something that is only for producing male progeny. That's been true since men became landowners and women's matriarchal culture was pushed into the background. The cycle became something that would subdue women, make them stay in the house. They weren't fit to go out and do other things. And they were using it only for we have to have more male progeny to have more landowners. So the whole tenor of having a cycle at all was tilted years and years and years ago. And that has colored our treatment of our own cycles today. If we can't honor the cycles that bring forth life for the planet, then we are badly out of touch with nature. So the book is about trying to bring us back into harmony with nature, but not just women, men also. Learning how... We need to pay attention to the different times and cycles of nature for everything instead of governing our lives by artificial calendars, artificial clocks. We just don't stay in harmony with nature anymore. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you're reminding me of um, a little snippet from a talk that I gave recently. Um, You know, a group invited me to talk about, well, what would it look like if we did birth ideas of the sacred feminine into the world, you know, and um, I really tapped into this idea that I learned from Eric Fromm, uh, who you might, I don't know, you might recognize his name, you know, he talked about the art of being. And uh, I started thinking about beingness, and uh, he really related beingness, uh, which surprised me, to uh, socialism and matriarchy. And uh, he he related um, having 
to capitalism and Christianity. And, boy, my ears perked up, you know, when I heard that. Uh, But part of the idea of being is this idea where we do reconnect, you know. Um, uh, You know, and and I suggested that, you know, know, we're we're like these hamsters on a wheel. And, uh, you know, we're we're punching that 9 to 5 clock. Uh, for what 65 years of our life, you know, day in and day out, and hamster on a wheel, just trying to keep our heads above water to pay the rent and put food on the table. And maybe the only time we meditate or do yoga uh, is when we're so out of balance that um, you know, if if we don't do it, it's it's uh, it would be maybe the consequences would be dire. But imagine if we stopped to meditate to do yoga to uh you know do you know other forms of i don't know sacred sound these things we call esoteric or alternative practices if those were really part of our everyday world like brushing our teeth you know we wouldn't go out before we brush our teeth well we wouldn't go out before we meditated and did yoga and maybe listen to you know sacred sound for uh, a half hour, you know, to get, you know, or, or balanced our chakras, you know. Um, I, I don't know, maybe that sounds crazy, but um, I, I just imagine that life could be so different than uh, this rat race that, that we're in that, um, you know, really leaves us all so empty inside, I think. Karen, you're, what you're talking about is changing our belief system. Just as you said, we wouldn't go out without brushing our teeth. There are many things that we have belief systems about that no longer serve us. If we look at the patriarchal model for life, it's based upon values that include competition, control, ownership, rationality, hierarchy, materialism, and separation. Values of the divine feminine are nurturance, cooperation, sharing, and connection. And those values have been set aside in the name of progress. Because the patriarchy has taught us progress at all costs. We've dismissed dismissed any belief system that supports living in cooperation and connection. And in order to begin to change it, we've got to change at an inner level. And that starts with seeing the world differently. We can't see the world differently until we slow down enough to examine our belief systems and listen to the inner voice and take time to connect with nature and with each other. We have to start noticing how our choices affect other people. We have to pay attention to how we feel when our own bodies are cycling in and out of their own natural nature. And we need to take steps to return to balance. And the first step is starting to notice what is out of balance and to listen for what do I need to change. And, and you know, and the hard part is taking the steps to actually incorporate that change. Um, yes. You know, I'm just I'm just talking from a personal perspective, but I can tell you that you know I'm on this you know trying to incorporate yoga into my life and meditation, and you know when you're still working a nine to five job and you have all the other responsibilities of the house and you know and maybe you have stuff like a radio show and you write books and you give talks, you know it's awfully hard uh, to to work it all in, um, you know to actually create those new habits. I'm, I'm sure, you know, we all have those struggles to, um, you know, to sort of rewrite our script. 
Well, that is a problem that is more and more problematic in America than it is in Europe. And part of that is because we believe in America that we have to do the nine to five job. We're only granted one to two weeks of vacation a year, plus a handful of holidays. There's no time allowed because we have been trained to this belief system and we are slaves of the system. That does not exist in Europe. In Europe, people have a minimum of six weeks of vacation a year. They have three to six months of child leave if they're having a pregnancy for both parents. They have vacations and holidays. Whenever they're having stress, they can say, I need time off, and their jobs say, of course, we want happy workers. Take the time off. And then they come back to work when they've finished whatever their stressful situation is. They believe that that's the norm. In America, that seems superhuman and magical. So that's a very, very good example of belief systems. Well, or you know what you hear. I mean, because I see on Facebook all the time, whenever we post these memes about how happy the, uh, you know, people are in Scandinavian countries and about they have such a better quality of life, you know, you have these people that come back and say, oh, yeah, you all just want to be lazy takers. You want to be slackers. You know, and and I think to myself, how did Americans become such masochists? You know, um, you know, not caring about our quality of life. You know, it's all about. And people say it goes back to the Puritans. It goes back to the Protestant uh, work ethic. Uh, that, you know, unless you're doing this kind of uh, slaving away and and suffering almost, uh, that, uh, you know, you're somehow sinful and, and lazy. Well, it does have to do with both our religious systems and our educational systems. And that, again, goes all the way back to what do we believe is the way life should be. We have been trained by our society that this is what we're expect, how we're expected to live, and so therefore we live under those rules. And until we stand up and say, you know, those rules just aren't working anymore. I don't want to do that. It's not going to change. There's a wonderful, wonderful movie that came out a couple of years ago by Michael Moore called Where to Invade Next. Mm-hmm. not a military movie. Mm-hmm. That movie brings out examples of how other cultures have a more harmonious life, how they step out of the value systems and do it differently. Our planet's in peril, Carol. We are so well, enmeshed with technology, we've forgotten that we're part of nature, and the biohumans are on the very verge of becoming extinct. We dismiss and dishonor nature and our natural cycles in favor of artificial rhythms of living every day. We have women leaders who are in training to be men, the term I used a moment ago, Rather than utilizing values that are natural to women, we give our little boys toward guns. We tell our pubescent girls to push through their monthly cycle as if it were any other day. And our advertising says, now you can be same every day of the month. Can be, but should they be? We value well, progress and, without value on Well, that. and also, too, the big pharma, I think they're pushing pills to do away from, with, you know, women's men's sees altogether. And, I mean, what repercussions might that have down the road? It will have repercussions, but the first repercussion before the even biological one is the psychological one that's happening saying, I can control nature. I don't need this part of nature. I can dismiss it. So that, again, is dismissing artificial, natural cycles in favor of artificial cycles. How many women do you know that walk around with a cell phone glued to their ear because they have to connect with that technology all the time? 
Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. much do you think they're missing of the natural world by being eaten up with technology? Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I, I totally agree with you. You know, it, uh, uh, you know, if, if you could see my face right now, I'm shaking, you know, I'm shaking my head. Yes, 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 absolutely. Um, so the environmental problems, you know, you touched on that, um, um, you know, that, that, you know, the problems that we're experiencing now, um, aside from what you've described already, how do they, you know, how do those problems relate to the central theme of, of your book? Is there more to it than what you've said already? or Well, there's always more. The threads weave in and out of everything we believe, everything we think, everything that we do. One of the key environmental problems that I see is the use of is the meat industry. We have a belief system, and it has been pushed upon us by nutritionists and by the dairy industry, that we have to have meat and we have to have dairy in our diet to be natural and healthy, which is far from the truth. The meat industry uses more water than any other single industry on earth, cleaning up the slaughter. If we want our environment to be in balance, we might just start looking at what are we doing by insisting on eating meat. It's not only the value of, you know, taking another life, which is definitely not part of the divine feminine, to have a concept that we can have the right to take any other life, but it's also the concept of how much water are we using and this belief system that we need meat. And then there's the thing about grain. We grow all this grain to feed the cows, to feed the, the animals that we want to eat and kill, and the people starving all over the world that can't get enough grain to eat. We could turn into a vegetarian society, which would soften that edge on competition, greed, war, because we would take out the aggressiveness out of our diet. That would affect us ecologically as well, so that we would no longer be using up too much water or too much grain, and it would balance out the starvation problem across the planet. Well, when you talk about water, I mean, you know, we're we're uh, we are running into these problems that uh, corporations also want to privatize water. Uh, I think it was the CEO of Nestle said that water is not a human right. <laughs> You know, um, it's it's insane when you think about the um, the power that these corporations uh, have been able to amass and wield, um, and, and you know, and, and people just uh, you know don't even blink. Um, you know, it, it, no. sometimes it's, it seems like um, uh, brown-skinned women in third-world countries are, are more uh, activists than uh you know white western women uh you know when when you see how uh I, I mean you look at standing rock you know you look at uh i know a lot of the uh you know the activism that uh you know people have done in latin america and india and uh you know other places around the world to stop these multinational corporations from you know stealing their water rights um uh, it, it's, it, it, it just feels like we're being bombarded uh, from, from, you know, every, everywhere we look, you know. It, uh, it, it, it's like it's an onslaught. It's a tsunami of uh, exploitation and domination. I absolutely agree with you. 
And I think the basic problem with that is we've been trained to accept whatever our governments tell us is the truth, and we've been trained to believe that we're powerless, that one person or one handful of people can't make any difference. One of the key things about water is that we have forgotten that we are made up of water. One of the chapters in my book is on the water that we are, and it talks about just how much we are water ourselves. If we don't honor the water rights on the land, what are we doing about the water that we are as being part of nature, part of the land? Depending on our age and our makeup, we're between 70 and 90% water. And yet we talk about water rights on the land, and we forget to honor the water that we are. What do we put in our water to make it toxic? How do we use the water of who we are for positive, beneficial change? It's all connected. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, in your book, too, uh, you talk about how ignoring natural cycles uh, also connects us. Well, well, it contributes to a lack of connection, but also war. Did you want to speak to that a little bit? Uh, the war issue is about, it's the ultimate of the patriarchy. It's the values of competition and greed and separatism and belief systems that I'm right and you're wrong. That's what the war issue is about. When you're in harmony with nature, you lose those hard edges about what's right and what's wrong, and you begin to open up to seeing other perspectives so that you can see, oh, well, just take a woman's basic cycle. Either she's bleeding or she's not. So that's two different perspectives. When a woman is in a bleeding cycle, in her menstrual cycle, she's more introspective. She is more apt to be aware of her emotional input, how things are impacting her and affecting her, which the emotions are there to show her what's out of balance, not for her just to be weepy or angry. They're there to show her, look, pay attention, something's out of balance. So if you're looking at that simple segment right there, and then expand upon it for the whole world. If you're focused upon only looking at one thing through one lens, one window, everything aligned with the patriarchy of competition, greed, progress, you're missing the opposite side, which is retreat, listening, harmony. So you've segmented yourself and not been able to see a broader perspective. When you do that, you don't notice that the seasons have a benefit. You don't notice that this culture has something to offer that that culture doesn't. You don't notice many, many positive attributes because you've been trained to see only one way linearly, focusing on one particular belief set. So that leads to aggression and war. Well, you know, and it, it also makes, you know, you talk about the women's cycles and the bleeding, and I can't help but think about the red tent. Um, now, here in the United States, we have the red tent movement, and I think it might be, um, you know, have spread out beyond the United States now, but it makes me think of the red tent as sort of a microcosm of the macrocosm, you know, because this idea in the red tent, it's sort of about common ground. It's about mutual support. It's about uh, honoring one another. And, you know, it, it's like if we took those, and, and, and it's this idea of becoming a tribe, too. I mean, uh, all of us have heard the, those stories of, you know, uh, you know women in, in tribes, you know, women in, uh, in close proximity to one another become so interconnected that even their menstrual cycles are in sync, you know, those sorts of things. Um, I, I mean, imagine it, uh, you know, that sort of connection. It, it almost 
sounds um, folktale-ish or, um, uh, I don't know, Pollyanna or um, like some impossible myth, I guess, uh, it, that that could actually have been the way it was and, you know, could possibly be again if we weren't so disconnected. Well, absolutely. We are trained to believe that that's a fairy tale. That's the way we're trained to believe. And until we shuck straining and say, no, this layer has to come off, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to train our children to believe this anymore. We're going to keep believing that it's a fairy tale and can't possibly be true. It all has to start with changing our belief systems, Karen. Until we change the belief systems, nothing's going to change. One of the things in my book that I found um, most helpful to the readers is the chapter on relationships which talks about what you're talking about now, the fairy tale and relationships in America with the Hollywood image. We have the concept in America that everything should be, you know, it's a fairy tale. It's, oh, you fall in love and everything's good ever after. I'd like to change the fairy tale to say you fall in love and good things are good even after because you forget that even relationships have cycles. We're not trained and taught that relationships have cycles too. And one of the things that I did in my book, I talk about a study that I did, and the study is having women sleep separately during their cycle for an extended period of time, only during their menstrual cycle, but only women whose husbands or partners would support that. At the end of that study, and there's a lot more about it in the book, but I'm just going to say briefly about the relationships. At the end of the study, I interviewed men and said, how did this practice of separating from your wife during her menstrual cycle, how did it impact you? And this was a seven-month study. At the end of the study, these men said, oh, now I understand my wife better. Oh, we get along so much better now. Oh, now I know why she's been mad at me for 17 years. She's talking to me about it. And our sex life is better. All of these positive things came completely out of the blue and completely unexpected because there was a simple change of mindset of let's try and do this differently and see what happens. And that's what we have to do with everything. Have the mindset of let's try to do it differently and see what happens. Well, we certainly know that if we keep doing the same things over and over again and we expect a different outcome, I think they call that insanity. I mean, that's a cliche out there, but I think it's a truism uh, as as well. Um, But that that, that experiment that you talked about, um, I I find that really intriguing. What, What do you think... Um, triggered the change I mean why uh, why did it spark such positive um, insights and uh, improve the relationships because it broke the pattern women were not on the patriarchal wheel of have to do progress every day and treat every day the same any longer they were able to actually spend time in a retreat setting, sleeping alone, not having to take care of anybody else's needs, only taking care of what they needed so they could listen to their inspiration, they could listen to their intuition, they could listen to their dreams. The study was about evaluating an increase in dreams, an increase in spirituality or intuition, an increase in relationship harmony, and an increase in creativity. Those were the four areas that I was investigating, and I found statistically significant results in all four areas with 
everybody who participated in this study across the planet. Wow. That's there's why a book, word, book in work. itself right there. <laughs> yes. Well, well there's, it's, it's on file. That whole study is on file at the uh, uh, Ann Arbor where all the dissertations, Ph.D. dissertations are held. It's on there for anyone who wants to look it up under my name. So, Pia, um, all right, so I, I misunderstood the study uh, when, when you first uh, referred to it. So it wasn't just they slept separately during their menstrual cycle. The women didn't have to do their normal 9-to-5 grind either, apparently, and take care of everybody in the house. Uh, it, 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 am I understanding that right? I mean, they could do... Uh, where they they could be secluded if they wanted to be, or how did that work? Actually, Karen, the only thing that was required was that they slept separately during the cycle. But in the process of sleeping separately, they set down, many of them set down their duties. Not all, but some did. But it doesn't matter how each one did it because they're all individual. Some of them set down their duties and said, I'm just going to take this as a time of retreat. Others continued with their jobs and said, I'll only do this at night. But even that simple step of saying, I'm only going to do it at night, they didn't come home from work and have to do this and that and the other. They came home from work and they retreated into their room. It doesn't matter how large the retreat was, whether it was an individual choice to do it just for the sleeping or whether it was an individual choice to expand on it. Just the simple act of sleeping separately and allowing themselves some time alone for retreat changed everything for each one of them. Wow. Um, so, so this breaking the patterns is really key. Um, you know, and and I, look, I totally get that. I mean, one of the things that uh, I write about and do workshops on is uh, reinterpreting our sacred stories, rewriting our sacred stories. You know, giving ourselves permission to have new narratives because it's these narratives, these stories that you know shape our culture, and that's breaking a pattern too. You know, uh, it's it it changes our psyche so we don't continue to think. Uh, in the old pattern, uh, in the old belief system. Um, so as we're trying to create these new patterns, um, how, can you explain how people can begin to notice and then work more with their natural cycles? Well, the first place I always tell people to start is start with your breath. Most people in modern society today don't even take proper breaths. They are so uptight and so anxious and so pressured to get everything done that they're holding their breath up in their chest. So I would say start basically with the breathing and realize that there is a cycle there that's going on. There's an in-breath and there's an out-breath that completes the whole cycle. Start with noticing that. And then for women and men, you have to find your own rhythm Men can begin to do it by noticing when they're tired, when they're emotionally stressed. When a man starts snapping at his wife and he's not really happy when he comes home from work and he's just really grumpy, he's out of sync with his own cycle because he hasn't honored time to rest. When a woman starts becoming too emotional, 
and there's no such thing as too emotional in general, but as she finds herself tipped out of balance where she's emotional all the time and feels like nobody's listening to her, what she says doesn't matter, then she's not really listening to herself because she's not allowing the time to integrate her own feelings about whatever's going on. So she needs to start saying, okay, I need time for me. And a good way to do that is to, we have a natural biological cycle that's built in for women, so why not use that as the pattern to govern it? Men aren't so lucky. They don't have a natural biological signal that says, okay, time to retreat now. They just have to start noticing that they're emotionally out of whack, that they're angrier than usual, that they've got road rage going on, that kind of thing. Women have a natural signal that says time to retreat. So I say start with the breath. Notice there's a cycle. Look at how you're honoring that cycle and then expand on it. So what about, uh, I, I mean, obviously the woman who no longer has her uh, her sacred blood uh, could do this too. Um, but do you, it, But is there any more to say, uh, you know, to the woman who's maybe in menopause? Oh, absolutely. There's a whole chapter in the book called Menopause Magic and Andropause Awakening that talks about the beauty of moving into that system and how you can still have rhythmic cycles where you increase your creativity and your dreams increase. You don't have to be bleeding anymore to do it, but you have the opportunity to be able to wake up to your creativity, wake up to the power that's held within you, wake up to things that have been put on hold while you've been raising a family or working a career. There's a whole way of looking at it differently. Our culture, modern culture, treats menopause and andropause both as times of, mm, I guess I'd say, disrespect. The aged people are disrespected. Men feel like they're no longer needed because they're no longer in their jobs. Women feel like they're no longer needed because their children have grown. The andropause and menopause of indigenous cultures honors that time and the wisdom that the elder people have gained. So there's another belief system here that we have an opportunity to change. So, um, Pia, what is andropause? Um, That's a term I'm not familiar with. Andropause is the cycle where men's testosterone drops and their estrogen rises and their desires change. They become a little softer and gentler with what they're looking for and what they want out of life. They become a little more harmonious and not so aggressive, but they'll still be assertive. They incorporate more of the divine feminine when they have this shift and change that happens within them, and they have an opportunity to find a different perspective on life. Nobody knows hmm. anything about andropause because it's not discussed. Men's cycles are never discussed, which I think is another disregard for the divine feminine because from my viewpoint, the divine feminine exists in men and women alike. We just have to find that place of sharing, cooperation, nurturance, and connection. It's there for all of us. Well, you know, you're making me think about the men who, you know, I think are leaders out there in the community, and it would not surprise me if they're all in andropause. You know, I think about, you know, former President uh, Jimmy uh, Carter, who left his church because he said it didn't allow women to reach their fullest potential. You know, Desmond Tutu, the Dalai Lama, uh, you know, uh, Matthew Fox. uh, I mean, so many of these uh, older men 
who uh, may be, uh, and, and it's not to say younger, you know, we don't have younger men who are our allies as well, but that would possibly explain this, um, I don't know, I'm just going to call it newfound wisdom um, from these uh, male leaders. Well, I would say that's a large possibility, but they're also I'd like to say they don't have to reach andropause to tap into this aspect that lives with them. It's just that generally it doesn't happen because our culture pushes them to be involved in work. They have to be involved in this and that, and they only get two weeks off. So they're focused upon achieving progress, competing with other corporations, all of these things that keep them in the patriarchal model. And it's not until generally when they retire and andropause begins to kick in that they go, oh, you know, this is what my heart wanted all along. This is what I've been interested in all along. I just couldn't see it because of the patriarchal overlay. Hmm. Um, that is uh, so right, <clears throat> so right on. Um so, of, I, I mean, there's a lot in this book, but if you had to uh, sum it up, um, you know, what, what do you feel is the most important message? The most important message is that we're out of harmony with nature, that we absolutely have to do something about that. The time's never been more critical for welcoming the divine feminine and returning to the wisdom of having cycles and beginning to retreat and honor retreat just as much as we honor progress. I think until we start looking at what we believe and how we're living those beliefs, both in regard to technology, in regard to our diet, in regard to how we teach our children, go to Little League. You have to win. Your team has to win. Instead of teaching our children, everybody can win. Let's play a game that everybody wins. All those things that we're instilling in our children are the old way, and they support the patriarchy. There's a wonderful story I'd like to close with about a group that went to Africa to, I guess they were missionaries. They wanted to indoctrinate the African who were uneducated and didn't have any knowledge as far as they were concerned. And they offered the children a game. We're going to teach you a game. In this game, whoever runs to that tree over there and gets there first is going to get this candy. And they held up this bag of candy, and they said, that's the prize. Now line up, and when we say go, you run to the tree. And the children all stared and looked at them like, what? So they explained the rules again, and then the children got it, and they nodded their heads, and they all joined hands, and they ran to the tree together so that they could share the candy. <laughs> That's what we're looking for. Uh, I love it. That is that is an incredible story. I love it. Um, if If that could be the way of the world. Um, you know, even I, I was surprised one day to actually hear Bill Clinton uh, talk to David Letterman about game theory and how we uh, and, and we have to start to model game theory. And I don't know a lot about game theory, but from what he said, you create win-win situations in game theory. And I like to think of the sacred feminine that way too, you know, that um, uh, this whole idea is about the we and the us, you know, rather than the I and the me. You know, it's, so, it's about the common, um, you know, and, and it's about uh, not having winners and losers, 
uh, but it's about you know taking care of each other so all our boats float. Uh, and uh, it, I mean, it just you know it really goes back to this idea I think you know that we had once of uh, you know where Jesus said we are our brother's keeper. But, you know, Christianity, you know, has become so distorted. Um, you know, it's, it's like the things Jesus said don't even seem to matter, at least in American Christianity anymore, at least not the loud Christianity that we hear. You know, it's not to say some people aren't still practicing, you know, the the teachings of Jesus, but you don't see it much out in the public square. Yes. Well, you don't see much anything that has to do with cooperation out in the public. There's a problem with our news also, trying to always promote everything that is um, everything that is bad. We have news that promotes the bad and the sensational. We rarely have news that says, look what good's going on here. Let's focus on this. Our focus is upon things that instill fear and separation. We have news about war. We have news about famine. We don't have any news about the people who are doing things about making more peaceful situations. We don't have news about communities that are doing organic farming and trying to stop the GMO. We don't have news about people who are saying, let's stop the slaughter of animals. We don't have news about those things. We have news about things that promote the patriarchy. So we have to take a look at what we watch to define our our world and our reality. Well, and I think people have to realize that's a strategy. Um, I mean, we hear all the time that the media now, you know, that we've lost the fairness doctrine here in the United States, and, you know, it's all about, uh, you know, commercialism, and, you know, there doesn't have to be truth and, you know, advertising and truth in the news anymore and all of that. But I think there's a, you know, there's a strategy there, because if they keep us afraid, they keep us hopeless, they keep us divided, then we don't stand shoulder to shoulder and fight against uh, this oppression that, um, you know, I, I mean, I call it the oligarchy, the 1%, the patriarchy, uh, you know, to fight against that to really change things. You know, we're uh, too busy working two jobs and maybe still can't pay the rent. Well, that's the focus. That's the focus. Yeah. You're exactly right. The more they can keep us disempowered, the more they can control us. And you know, there's a bill that's about to be passed in America in January that's going to require all American citizens to carry a passport when they go from state to state, which is even more separation. And most people in America don't even know about it. And they're going to sit by and it'll silently pass and then they'll become even more slaves to being controlled. It's time wow. that people all over the planet wake up and say, no, I'm not standing for this. Wow. And, you know, the last time I checked statistics about that when I was doing sacred travel, uh, only about 15% of Americans even had a passport. Um, That's exactly. Yeah, I mean, I have not, I have not heard that myself. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that heads up. Um, I think it's down to 10% now of the ones who have passports, which means that there will be a long line for trying to get passports and American citizens will not be able to travel anywhere outside of their own state so that they can be controlled even more. And if you want to ask what that's going to do for holidays and family gatherings or what that's going to do if an earthquake happens, 
if you look at the broad term picture and the Americans just sit by and let it happen and let it pass, then there's going to be more separation, more control, and more of the patriarchy taking over. So time to wake up, time to do something. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I had a gentleman on my show once, you know, Patrick McCullum, and uh, he's kind of a a leader, an elder in the paying community, if you will, and he does a lot of peace work around the globe and uh, probably one of the more prominent pagans out there. You know, he said, uh, you know, he thinks we're on the tip of a knife and we could really fall either way. You know, we really have the opportunity here with so many people, uh, so many more people waking up. These ideas like we talk about here tonight and on the show in general, um, you know, more and more people are waking up to uh, new thinking, new patterns, uh, knowing things aren't working, that it can be different. It doesn't have to be this way. Uh, but it's not going to be handed to us. You know, we're we're going to have to, uh, you know, put the effort out to make sure we tip, uh, you know, we tip in the right direction. And, you know, I, I hope 10 years from now we look back on this time of chaos um, as a real time of transparency. And sometimes when it gets hard because there's so much, I mean, we're overwhelmed with the negativity, with the divisiveness, with the hate. Um, I, I really hope that we look back on this as, as a time of transparency when, we, uh, when, when it really awakened the masses to um, how important it is that we fix things, uh, to the things that need to be fixed, and so that we all just don't you know, passively go to sleep on our sofa you know, watching TV or staring into our phone. Yes, absolutely well said, Karen. Um, well, Pia, I, I, I have enjoyed uh, the conversation tonight. I really have. Um, and uh, I don't. It, was there any more that maybe I haven't asked you that uh, you felt important to say, or do you think we uh, covered uh, enough about uh, your new book, a sacred retreat and with the subtitle natural cycles i think the only other thing to be said is if people want to know more about my work they can look up my website which is www.piaorleane.com there's a section there on how to order the book if you're interested in the book and there's other things that i'm involved in so if you're interested in my work that's a good way to follow me and I've okay. enjoyed very much being on your show, Karen. It's been a delightful conversation, very deep, and I hope meaningful for all your listeners. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And I know this was a real effort to, uh, because, because, again, you know, you're calling from Spain. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. And, um, you know, it's real dedication for somebody to get up in the middle of the morning or night, however you want to phrase it, you know, like this to, uh, to talk to listeners and uh, really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart and just want to tell you the best, uh, you know, the best of luck and wishes for your work, uh, you know, your your lectures, your book, and, um, you know, let, let's keep in touch. If you have something else, you know, coming up down the road uh, that you'd like to talk to listeners about, please don't hesitate to reach out to me, okay? Thank you. Sounds wonderful. All right. Well, Happy good night. And yes, Thank and happy you, holidays to you too. Good night. Thank you. Oh, well, you know, um, I think every week 
Uh, we get more clues. We get uh, more pieces of the puzzle. Um, you know, we have to just start doing these things. We have to start uh, making these things our new way of life, um, you know, rather than continuing um, in the new patterns. And, uh, you know, I, I think I am going to uh, make myself a personal promise. You know, we're coming up on this time of uh, resolutions. You know, January is right around the corner. It's the traditional time of uh, starting new things. And, um, and, and you know, and I really do believe that is in working with the natural cycles. Uh, you know, because as a pagan, as a goddess advocate, you know, we, uh, we do our best to follow the wheel of the year. And we know the fall, uh, the season of fall is when we start to go, uh, you know, go down under and we start to be more contemplative and, uh, you know, we sort of take stock of the, pre, you know, of the year and what worked and what didn't and we marinate and we, um, you know, we, we think about who we are and what we did and what we want to be uh, so that when the new year rolls around, um, you know, we're ready to almost be reborn again. You know, we, we are ready to become uh, more in alignment, if you will, uh, with our authentic self. And uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that it's the time of Bridget, uh, because Bridget, you know, she's the goddess of fire. She's also the goddess of the sacred waters. You know, what do you get when you put fire and water together? You get steam. And I like to think um, that, you know, uh, this time of Bridget, you know, in January, end of January, beginning of February, the time of new resolutions, we have that steam of Bridget, you know, uh, to sort of push us forward to try to create these new patterns, to um, start to incorporate these new ideas into our lives, into our thinking, uh, so that we can become new people. And you know that if it, and I really do believe if we just sort of take care of that for ourselves, and uh, and and take care of that for our family, and if everybody did that, you know, sort of starts on that journey and it is a journey it's not something you're going to change in a year um you know uh again that old cliche it's not the destination it's the journey you know we just have to start and um what is it the hundredth uh, monkey idea um you know if when enough of us do this you know we can shift um you know we, you know we can make that important um that the shift that we need to to um, you know change the world and um, I don't know I I know that sounds huge and it sounds big but when you really think about it if we just take care of ourselves and our family and we work on you know our own patterns our own thinking and likewise uh, you know we try to encourage that in our friends who know that they want to evolve to know that they want to raise their awareness you know start a wisdom circle group um you know i i actually meet once a month with a group of women and men and you know we talk about these ideas we talk about alternative history we talk about um you know all of the different subjects that you know, you certainly aren't going to get from mainstream media uh, because they're too busy feeding you bread and circuses. 
Um, you know, if, if this kind of thing interests you, find other people who want to delve deeper, who want to talk about this stuff. You know, and get together once a month and maybe um, help each other, um, you know, change these patterns, you know. Um, anyway, just an idea. Um, so... Uh, but but anyway, you know, just to sort of you know get back to what I was saying, you know, I think I'm going to try to make myself make make this year be the year, 2018 be the year that I actually start those new patterns that I mentioned for myself. You know, the idea of the meditation on a regular basis, the idea of the yoga on a regular basis. I know I need it. Uh, I get distracted. I'm still working a full-time job while I'm doing a radio show, while I'm trying to do a book. You know, I have a husband, uh, you know, commitments, you know, all of that sort of stuff. You know, I don't have somebody to clean my house and cook my dinner and grocery shop. You know, I do all of that too. Um, I don't have kids, uh, so I really do feel for the women that also have children uh, to take care of. But, you know, uh, it it is really important. And we heard what Pia said, um, how beneficial it was uh, you know, for these women who just sort of changed the pattern and, uh, you know, just started, you know, sleeping separately, uh, you know, when they were on, um, you know, the time of their menses. Um, so anyway, lots of food for thought there, lots of food for thought. And, you know, we can all start small. Um, and uh, as I'm saying it to you, I'm convincing myself to actually put it in practice. Okay, so um, I promised at the top of the hour uh, that I was going to share with you uh, this little reading uh, that uh, Pat, my roving reporter, you know, she sends me good stuff, and she sent me this a few days ago. And it comes from the earthspirit.com website. Uh, They are a 501c3 group, I believe, that uh, are really into... Uh, trying to help us get back in touch with nature. So uh, it's really in sync with tonight's show, and it's certainly relevant for the season uh, because what I'm reading from their website tonight, uh, by way of Pat, is called The First Song, A Tale of How Yule Got Its Name. And this was from Earth Spirit Newsletter, um, Yule 94, and it was by Andrus Corbin Arthen. That's uh, the person who posted this. So here goes. Uh, sit back and, uh, you know, grab a cup of tea or a glass of wine and just uh, be ready to sit for a minute. Uh, it's not that long, but I think you'll enjoy it. This is the story of the very first song. It's a true story, as all stories are, if you believe in them. This story begins a long, long time ago when the earth and sun gave birth to the first beings, the very first plants and animals and people. It was springtime and the sun shone warm and bright from his high perch above. And earth, proud mother that she was, held and fed her newborns and relished them with tenderness and love. It was a time of joy. It was a time of great delight. The moon waxed and waned time and again in the night sky, and the children of the earth grew well and strong through summertime. They played and danced, and earth and sun watched over them. 
Then autumn came, and the earth began to sleep much longer every day. She grew tired and pale. She could no longer feed her children and had no strength to grow new life. High above, the sun grew distant and took longer to return each morn. The nights grew longer, and cold winds blew where none had blown before. And then, one day, earth went to sleep and never did wake. She wrapped herself in a blanket of snow and rested her tired head on pillows of dried leaves, and and she did not wake up. Her children could do nothing to rouse her from her slumber. They prodded her, they called to her, but she would not awaken. In the sky, the sun was nowhere to be seen, and the children of the earth felt fear and also felt despair. This was the longest night that they had ever known. What shall become of us, they pondered. Earth mother sleeps, and father son is oh so far away that we can barely see him in the sky. He is much too far to hear our call. What shall we do? So they brought their questions and their fears to the moon, the sister of the sun, for they knew not where else to turn. She closed her eyes and took a slow, deep breath and looked within herself and awoke thoughts that had never been awakened until then. She opened her soft eyes, then said, When hope is lost, the best way to get it back is with song. Climb you the tallest trees, the biggest hills, the highest mountains, and yule a song to reach the sun. Now, yule is a word from one of the most ancient tongues. It is related to words like yell or yodel, and it means to call out in song. And remember, she said, uh, now you, uh, what is so? And yule, a song to reach the sun. But the first beings had never heard a song, so once again they sought the moon's advice. How shall we yule, they asked. How shall we sing a song? Take the best of what you have, she said, the best of what you are. Take what you love. Take what you cherish most. Take your joys, your dreams, your fondest hopes, and weave them all together in a sound. And so they did. They climbed atop the tallest trees, the mountains, and the hills. They stood on all the places that would bring them closest to the sun. They shut their eyes and thought and felt the best of thoughts and feelings and dreamt the finest dreams. And as they did, their voices rang and made a bridge of song across the sky to reach the distant sun. He heard and turned and smiled and wrapped himself in all his light and warmth and sped to where the yuling voices called. As he drew near, the sleeping earth did stir and dreamed a dream of spring. The wheel of life made its first round and hope and joy prevailed. And ever since that time of year has been called Yule in honor of the song. But the first song did not end. It had such power, such eldritch allure, that the first beings kept singing it throughout. And then the second beings, born of earth, took up the song, as did the third. And so it ever since has gone, through seasons and through years, until this very day. 
At times, the song is very soft and scarcely can be heard above the din and clatter of our lives. But then Yule comes. It rises and it swells in memory of that night when the sun heard and the light and life were spared. And so do we, upon this longest night, gather with those we love and who love us and stand upon the body of slumbering earth and light the log with last year's coal and lift our voices soaring to the sun and join the song that first was sung so very long ago. We sing our thanks to those who went before and sing our fondest wish to those who come behind. We bask in the returning light of reawakened hope and welcome Yule. Well, that's lovely, and I want to again thank Pat for bringing that to my attention uh, so that I could share it with you here on the show. And so appropriate for uh, our conversation with Pia uh, and even my little impromptu thoughts about uh, uh, resolutions and, um, you know, the coming of, um, you know, our new year and uh, the light and, you know, which is, you know, the coming of the light, you know, is uh, synonymous and metaphor for uh, our new life in the coming year, our new re, uh, reawakening, our new rebirth. So uh, with that all said, uh, I think it's time to uh, take a minute uh, to hear from Joe Carson. tell you about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. This is from Janina Renee, author of Playful Magic and By Candlelight. Dancing with Gaia is a magical, transformative film. Just watching it can alter your perception of the physical body and the energy field of the goddess Earth. Next time you are taking a walk or simply gazing across the landscape, you might find yourself affecting mystical fusion with the local earth forms or making deep contact with the spirits of place. If you want to engage deeper with the consciousness of the earth, there are a number of detailed but simple how-tos. What's more, seeing the exquisite works of these Gaia-inspired artists could energize you to start working on some of your own spiritually expressive projects. The DVD was shot in some of the most powerfully sacred sites in the Western world. It comes packaged with a 45-page color booklet, which goes even deeper into the ideas and techniques in the film. The package is just $20, and you can get it from dancingwithgaia.com. Well, um... I want to let you know that uh, I have seen that film and that book, and it is well worth having. Uh, so if you are looking for um, uh, something for a, a friend or loved one, I hope you will consider Joe Carson's book uh, or possibly Pia Orlean's book. 
uh, or possibly my own books, uh, because I believe we're all really on the same page here. You know, we are trying to uh, create our new reality. We are trying to change the way we think about things um, so that we can change our patterns, so that we can actually uh, change the world. And uh, I say that in all seriousness. Now, next week, uh, we will not have a show. Um, Our guest uh, had a death in the family, uh, her immediate family, and um, Rachel Pudelik uh, will be back with us in the spring, but we're going to take off next Wednesday. But I will be back on December 20th with Zoe Hieronymus, and uh, she has a book uh, that we're going to talk about called White Spirit Animals. Uh, we're going to uh, Profits of Change is the subtitle. Uh, uh, Zoe has been on the show uh, once or twice before over the years, and this is her new book. Uh, and uh, she always has great insight. Uh, so I look forward uh, to having her on the show right before um, uh, Christmas. You know, right at the solstice season. So uh, as I uh, close the show tonight, uh, I just want to remind you uh, what I say often. Remember what we focus on, uh, what we pay attention to, um, that uh, we sustain, that we grow. And what we neglect, well, that withers. So think about that in terms of what we discussed tonight. Uh, If we focus on old patterns that don't serve us, Uh, If we uh, focus on old ideas uh, that really maybe serve the 1% instead of 99%, then uh, we will perpetuate that out in the world. Um, And if we neglect ourselves, um, if we neglect the things that we know would be better for us, um, then, you know, those things that we neglect, they are not going to grow and take root uh, and become the change that... uh, we know we need. So, you know, uh, food for thought there. Well, uh, dear listeners, uh, thank you so very much again for your listener loyalty. It means the world to me to know that you're out there and the show makes a difference. Uh, I like nothing better than when you send your emails uh, with your personal comments about uh, particular shows or guest ideas or um, you know what the show has meant to you. You know how it has uh, possibly sustained you. Because you know what, that's gas in my tank. It keeps me going too. Uh, that is your gift to me. So please, um, you know, keep that contact, uh, that interconnection going because um, you know it feeds me. It sustains me uh, to do this. You know, every week for the last uh, ten years. So um, with that, uh, I will say good night, and uh, I'll close uh, with just uh, a little bit of music. And I think uh, I'll use uh, this music from Reclaiming uh, Campfire Chants. Uh, They did a lot of great uh, chants for activism. And uh, I think we'll go with um, We Are the Power in Everyone. Here we go.
turning of the tide.